We'll now have our second Bible reading, which will be from the book of Haggai, which is one of the last books in the Old Testament. If you're looking at the Pew Bibles, it's around 988. So we're going to be reading Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone who came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Thank you, uh, Lauren, for reading uh, Haggai chapter 2, uh, 10 um, to 19. Well, let's, let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the promise of blessing. We stand in need of your grace and your kindness upon each of our lives. You know our hearts, you know our thoughts, you know everything that's going on deep within our souls. We pray this morning that your word will speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray you forgive me for my own sins. You would use me for your glory and for the building up of your people in the faith, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning, we are, if you are being a Coming here for the first time as a visitor, we continue our series of studies in the book of Haggai. Uh, it's been a great book so far, I trust. It's been a very helpful book, I hope. It's indeed been a very challenging book for me personally as well. And also working through this passage today, it's been a great personal challenge in my own life as well. And as we have seen in our study of the book of Haggai, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open or your phones, uh, whatever uh, you're using uh, so that we can actually look at this passage together this morning. As we have seen in our study of Haggai so far, the people had been in exile in Babylon. The temple was in ruins, destroyed by the ruthless Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. It was destroyed and the temple belongings was taken into, uh, uh, things were taken back into, into Babylon. And in the providence of God, the people return from exile and they are back in the land to rebuild the temple. And so let me just refer to the time frame 
to help us understand what's going on so far. We read in Haggai chapter 1 verse 1 of Haggai's message given on or around 29th August 520 BC. We see that in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month, very precise dating. Then the people, instead of getting on with the work, the task of rebuilding the temple started to focus on their own comforts and their own properties. They were concerned about the paneling of their own homes. They neglected the work of rebuilding the temple. The people then responded to God's message through the prophet Haggai by repenting of their ways and obeying God. God stirred their hearts and they began back at the work again on the 21st of September 520 B.C. And as they went along with the work, as we saw last Sunday, some of them became, uh, some of them began to compare the splendor and the majesty of the old temple that Solomon built. It was a majestic building, an amazing work of architecture. Solomon uh, had gold inside the temple. It was a building that could not be compared with anything else because God was meeting with his people at that temple. And so as they went along to work, some of those who were in their 80s looked back and said, wow, that building was so great, but this new building cannot be compared to it. And so they became so discouraged. And then God had to encourage them. And God had to encourage them to get on with the work. And so Haggai brought a message of encouragement on October 17th, 520 BC in that same year. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month that the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1. And so God said through the prophet Haggai to these people, be strong. I am with you. My spirit remains with you. Fear not. I had people uh, respond to this last week and even yesterday saying how encouraging it was for them to know that God has called us to be strong, to, that he is with us, that his spirit remains with us, and to fear not. And then we noted last week that the promise of greater glory of the temple was to come, and that was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus when he tabernacled, or the word became flesh. And we look forward to a day when there will be no more temple anymore, but we'll be dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth, all the glory and majesty of God revealed. And so today we look at 10, chapter 2, verses 10, 17 and we're going to look at just two points this morning the past and the future so please keep your bibles open to this passage we see in our text here verse uh, 10 that Haggai brings another message which is on the 24th day of the ninth month which is calculated these are not calculations that I have made I must say it right I've read through commentaries and they have done all the dating so it says on the 18th of December 520 BC uh, so it's about two months since the last message so on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And remember in chapter 1, they received a message from Haggai to rebuild the temple that was laying in ruins. Now instead of getting on with the job, they focused, as I said, on their own houses. And as a result of this, there were consequences, friends. Have a look at chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Haggai chapter 1. Let me quickly read it. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the 
earth as we tell its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all of their labor. So God has withheld what? His blessings. He has caused a drought. He has caused these things to take place. But as we have seen in our study so far, the people obeyed God, they repented of their ways, God stirred up their spirits, and they recommenced the work of rebuilding the temple. And so, having done this, the people are now saying, or perhaps thinking, they had hoped that the moment they obeyed God, the moment they continued on the rebuilding of the temple, that God would bless them. And that he would take away the drought. It's kind of logical, isn't it? I'm obeying you, God. So surely now, you're obligated to what? Anyone? To bless me. I have done my part. Now God, you keep yours. But the point is, friends, that judgment is not undone simply by any obedience. In their minds, they are thinking, surely God must bless us. He ought to have done so and poured out his blessings. And so this question was also a question that Haggai was grappling with. Why was there no rain? Why was there no harvest? Why was there no blessings from God? What's going on, God? Why are you withholding these things? The people are working. All the chippies are there. I don't think they have any sparkies, electricians at the time. All the masons were there. All the artistic guys were there. They were doing all the work. Everybody was busy in the temple. And now the blessings should be coming. And we should be having everything flowing with milk and honey. What's happening, God? Why? So God says to Haggai, go and check it out with the priest. That's a good call, isn't it? You got questions? Go and, no, we are not priests, uh, John and myself, we are all the priests to the believers, but go and check it out with your ministers. Those guys should know it, they've studied. Go and check those guys out. So he says, hey, go and check with the priest. So in verse 11, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. So he goes to the priest, the men that should know, and he asks them two questions. Have a look at your text. Let me see this in verse 11. See, in the Old Testament, friends, when people had questions about ritual things and the ceremonial law, they would go to the priests and ask them for an explanation. So Agai went with two questions. Let's look at the first one. Verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with, uh, with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. I mean, imagine that. Taking a piece of beef or something, meat, putting it on the fold of your, we don't wear robes, do we? Like pants or whatever and walking around. What's that kind of thing? Why, why, why would you do that? You see, when, let me explain. See, when, when they were about to make a sacrifice, the priest would take holy flesh as it were. This, this holy flesh was the best part of the sacrifice of the animal. And that was set aside to be offered to God. And it was specially set aside for God. And the priest 
would put this holy meat in the fold of his robe. It's a rather strange thing. Right? And the meat would make the garment holy, but it stopped there. It could not be passed on from the garment to anything that it touched. Leviticus. Leviticus has got so many rules and, uh, and, and laws. Uh, someone was speaking to me yesterday afternoon at a function. Uh, pastor, he said, I want to come and spend two hours with you. Have you got some time? I said, yeah, tell me why. I want to talk to you about all the rules of the book of Leviticus. <sighs> I said to him, come and see me, but just wait for January, all right? <laughs> Let me get through November and December first. I want to come and see you and talk about all the laws of Leviticus. Now, I'm looking forward to that conversation because it will be a great study for myself and a great study for this brother as well. So the priest would put this holy meat and, and so look at the text there. Whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy and if any of the blood is splattered on a garment, you must wash it in a holy place. So the answer to Agai's question is that you cannot transfer holiness. You cannot transfer ritual holiness. You can't pass it on. It does not work. And then he moves to the second question. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now I was thinking about this text. I wonder what uh, funeral undertakers will make of this. Right. Because they're all the time working with dead bodies, right? Now, you've got to understand that this was given in the time of God's people, in the laws of the day, because God was holy and righteous, and nothing unclean could come in his presence. You've got to understand that in that context. The point is that ritual uncleanness is transferable. It becomes unclean. Defilement is catching. It is something like this. Sometimes on our table at home, oh, we got a bowl of fruits at the table. Occasionally, we got fruits on, in the fridge. I'm telling you what's happening in our homes. All right, there's a fruit bowl on the table as well. Now, I go get my bananas from there, but I go into the fridge and get any strawberries. I like papo or papaya, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. So I'll take that from the fridge. But occasionally on the, on the, on the fruit bowl, there's, there, are there are apples and uh, sometimes oranges and so forth. And I will look at this once in a way and see, well, some of the fruit has, is not looking really good because there's one spoiled apple there. And what's happened? That spoiled apple that has spread its rottenness to the others. Have you experienced that? Or a spoiled orange or something, or a mandarin, it's a bit green sometimes, it looks not really best, and it spread itself around. Obviously, we've got to throw them, right? So sometimes if you put a good apple into a box of rotten apples, will the good apple make the rotten apples look good? Will it make them good? Because you put one good apple into a box of rotten apples, will they become good to taste? No, it doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work. But if you put, for example, a rotten apple into a box of good apples, what happens? After a few days, they all become <laughs> rotten. They make the good apples go rotten. Or for example, if you put a sick person who has a flu in a room of well people, it won't be long before the others will catch a virus, right? 
So if you are coughing and spluttering and everything around you, and there are people who are quiet, well, what happens, friends? Before long, you've got the virus, you start coughing and sneezing and spluttering, and it all happens, right? But if you put a well person in a room with people with flu, for example, or a virus or a cold or something, if somebody's really well, and if they go into a room where people are in infected with all this, Will it immediately make all those people well? It doesn't. That's the point, isn't it? We can't transfer our health to others, but we can catch certain sicknesses from others. And so uncleanliness, defilement is catchy. It spreads. And that's the point here, friends. Defilement spreads. The two answers to the questions tell us Holiness cannot be transferred. Uncleanliness can be transferred. And so we see that in Numbers chapter 19, and I won't go into that this morning. And so what was happening here, friends, was the past sin of his people had consequences. That is why they were in exile. That is why the temple was in ruins. But now as they got on with the work of rebuilding the temple, they almost expected God to bless them. He had to bless them because they were obeying him. This is a sense of legalism that has set in friends. God is obligated to bless us now. And to them it was almost unthinkable that God would not bless them. So coming back to the questions by Haggai, we may ask what's the point of these questions? It's said to us, the answer is in verse 14. Have a look please. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is, you look at the Bibles, is unclean. Notice the word, so it is with this people. This people had been defiled and so everything they touched, including their offerings and work, was unclean. And so, friends, the point is, don't think that just because of obedience, God is obligated to bless us. What they offered to God was unclean. Even though they had obeyed God and returned to work, there was a major problem here. Their work was tainted because of the sin in their hearts, which was transferred from the heart to the work of rebuilding the temple. And that happens, does it, does it not? What goes on here is transferred by our actions, right? What goes on here is communicated by our mouths. <laughs> what goes on here affects our relationships. We transfer it, don't we? It all happens inside, does it not? Anger, malice, gossip, murder, all of these things, where do they come from, friends? here and it begins to take shape in actions now of course obedience is important so don't get me wrong don't go up from this place and say oh chris said don't worry about obeying god no worries man i can do anything i want doesn't matter no 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 that's not what i'm saying if you love me god says you will obey me right but don't expect just because i obey god that he is somehow obligated to bless me. That's the point here. That's the point. But there is blessing in obedience. 
that God gives, but don't expect as he's obligated to do so. So their work was tainted of their, because of the sin, and no amount of obedience could undo, uh, undo uh, the, the effects of sin. And so that's what's going on here. God was not looking at outward conformity and works, but rather he was looking at the genuineness of their hearts. Their, their hearts were not right before God, and the contamination of their disobedient hearts was defiling the very sacrifices they were offering. And just as those who touched a dead body contaminated others who touched them. So to live in sin, friends, and disobedience against God, and worship of him was like bringing a dead body into the temple. It defiled everything. And God weighs the motives of the heart. God is more interested in our hearts than in external sacrifices. Correct? Example. I can come here and sing, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. Uh, we don't, uh, that's the smell of the hymn, right? I think it's 525 or something. I can say, oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the... You know that hymn? Serve you to the end. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I can come and sing all those things here. And you think, wow, that guy, Chris, he knows all those hymns. Look at him. He's even quoting those hymns. But what about my heart? You see what I'm saying? How far is that from God? I know the sin in my own heart. Right? The, uh, the Samuel said this to, uh, to Saul. And Samuel said, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. And then, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not, what is it? God will not despise. He will not despise a contrite heart. God will not despise a heart that comes to him and that cries to him and that acknowledges that my heart is filled with sin. My motives are tainted with sin. Oh God, I can do nothing in and of myself. I can serve you only because you have cleansed me. And in the New Testament, we see that we have been cleansed, dear friends, not in the Old Testament sacrifices, but we have been cleansed with the perfect blood of Christ. And the heart that is a heart of stone has now been changed and been transformed and is continuously being transformed because Christ has cleansed this broken heart. Has he done that to you? How is your heart this morning? If God was to put a spiritual stethoscope... No, no, no. If God was to have an, a spiritual ECG, we have cardiologists here, they will know what I'm speaking about that, right? In the physical sense, you get an ECG, you know how, how the graph goes, right? I'm sure some of us have had ECGs. I've had things all over my body and watch this, this thing that goes up and down like that, right? And you get the reading at the end and think, oh, my heart's going, it's all right? Or maybe it's not, I don't know. But if God was to put a spiritual ECG on our hearts today, how will it be? What will we see? What will we find out? See, God knows what is going on. 
See, all externals can look so good from the outside. I do good things for others. I don't gossip. I don't do this. I don't do that. I serve in various ministries in the church. So I'm good, all good in and by themselves. But the question is, what is my motivation? Do I say with the psalmist regularly, this one, which is creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, renew a right spirit within me. What a prayer to pray. Creating me a clean heart, O God. So it has to do, friends, with our hearts as well. And now look at the future here, our second point. God sees right through our hearts and our standing with him. And then in verse 15, we have this amazing transition. Now then consider from this day onwards, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple and so forth, we read here. And now indicates a transition. It is a transition from indictment to blessing. And God calls them to give careful thought, twice careful thought. Things have not been so well for them. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple, how did you fare? When one came to heap of 20 measures, there were but 10, 50%. When, you came, when one came to the wine vat to draw f uh, 50 measures, there were only 20. See what's going on? He asked the people, how are you faring? Not good. Verse 17 in our text, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. And yet, verse 17, Anybody? Verse 17b. Your turn. Read it, please. Anyone? Got it? Aha. Uh -huh. You did not turn to me. How's that? I've done all of these things. I've shown you what I've withheld. You have seen my covenant faithfulness in the past because Haggai has seen God's faithfulness. I have told you that I will be with you. I will remain with you. I will give you my spirit. Fear not. I have done all of these things because I'm a covenant faithful God to you. And yet you did not turn to me. Friends, how sad. Have you turned to the living God? When is the last time? that you have turned to him. <laughs> when is the last time you said, God, I have run my life my way. You have spoken to me and I have not turned to you. You know, what a privilege it is, friends. Think about it. What a privilege to, to meet like this, right? You think about it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in some countries don't have this privilege. What a privilege we have Bibles. You can go and buy Different versions of Bibles today. You can have Bibles on your phones. You can have ESV, NIV, King James, this, that, everything else. We have everything. And yet, we're without excuse. You have not turned to me. How sad. A father speaking to his children. You have not turned to me. And so God withheld these blessings. And then in verse 18, consider from this day onwards, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day from that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, consider these things. And then verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine and the vat, and, 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 and uh, sorry, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. They have yielded nothing. And then, look at your text in 19b. Have a look at it, friends. But from this day, what does God say to his people? What does he say? I will bless you. 
I will bless you. Friends, isn't that the greatest joy for us to have the blessing of God upon your life? Yeah? That is the greatest thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't need anything else, friends. But to have the blessing of the Lord upon our lives. That's what it is. For the Lord to make his face to shine upon a sinner and to bless, bless us in his grace is one of the most amazing things that could ever take place in a person's life. I stand before you this morning in the grace and the blessing that God has given to me to be able to even stand up and to preach God's word in front of you. It was this morning when someone said to me, Pastor, isn't it a privilege that God has given you the honor to share this word? And he's given you the honor and privilege of serving him in whatever field that he has called you to serve him. You see, God is saying to these people, the seed had yielded nothing. The people are back at work for three months and God has not restored the blessings of good crops. But this promise made on the 18th of December, well, coming close to Christmas, right? They didn't have Christmas carols and all that that they were singing at the time, right? On the 18th of December, God would bless them. And God was saying to his people, you have already planted your seed, but this year it's going to be different. Why? 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 The future is going to be bright. Why? Was it because of them? Was it? No. Notice the promise made. Be be but before, from this day forward, I will bless you. The emphasis is on whom? On who is it, friends? On God. They, they could do nothing. But he says, I will bless you. It is me. It is my prerogative. It is up to me to bless you. It is not because you have kept up all these things. It is not because you are going and rebuilding this temple. But I am going to bless you. I will make your produce uh, prosper. I will let the seeds grow, the harvest to be plentiful. Because I am in it, friends. I will bless you. You see, this blessing is not earned by obedience. It is out of his grace and kindness. From this day onwards, God's grace shines forth. His grace triumphs. I will bless you because he is sovereign. The blessing is undeserved. Do you think we deserve blessings? That's a question. <laughs> Do you think God is obligated to bless you? No. No. It is all because of his grace. And what a blessing. The point is that blessings come because of his grace and his goodness. It comes out of his will. And it is. And we can't apply a formula which equates blessings. If I do such and such, then God is going to bless me. Now his blessings can come in various ways as he chooses by blessing us. He can give us great families, loving families, financial wealth, good health, a good job. All of these are wonderful gifts of God. But we know for certain, friends, that those, these gifts are as wonderful as they are. They can be gone just like that as well. Correct? Think of Job. He's gone. Ultimately, our greatest blessing is knowing God through his son, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, which we read. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Let's read it. Let's read the text. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Got it? The ultimate blessings is in Christ. Has he not blessed us, friends? Has he not died for you at the cross? Has he not taken your sin and mine? Has he not? Has he not blessed us with adoption as his children? Has he not sealed his Holy Spirit upon you? Has he not promised an eternal home in heaven for you? Has he not? Just this past week, I was called to do a funeral in a funeral parlor, and I was talking to this group of people, and I could see that there was no understanding of the gospel. It's very hard sometimes to do a funeral when you don't know where the family is at all or what the person's life has been. I, was, I heard about bingos and palm reading and all of that kind of stuff. I'm sitting there and thinking, what do I say to these people? <laughs> I just preach the gospel. Friends, God has blessed us. What's your response to this God? And uh, when I was preparing this, this message and was thinking about it, you know, it hit me hard, hit me hard. You know, sometimes even I can think and I can almost demand, God, you've got to bless me because I've done all of this, I prepared all this, it's up to you. But no, no. God's kindness, I think about St. Stephen's, his kindness and his blessings to us is because of his kindness to us. It's not because of anything that I have done. It's not because of our programs. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do those things. We must. But ultimately, blessing comes from whom? From God. And that alone is the most important thing. And as we trust in our Savior Jesus, we are abundantly blessed in this life and for eternity. I will bless you. May God bless you. May God richly bless you. But we can never demand it that he come out of his own sovereignty for his glory and for his praise. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of your word that you would bless your people. You don't demand it. You're not obligated to bless us in any way. But thank you that your grace is so abounding that you bless us in spite of who we are. Help us this morning to rejoice in the Savior Jesus, that in him we have every blessing in Christ. And help us, Lord, to count the many blessings that you have given to us in family, friends, homes to live in, cars to drive in, finances, health, and everything else. But these are nothing in comparison to the ultimate blessing of knowing Christ and being his child. In Jesus' name, amen.